friends, join me in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your word and scripture. We pray that you would reveal to us something new, something for us to hear, something for us to learn from. Amen. Among my many strange interests, one of my favorite things to do is go on tours. You know, the behind-the-scenes tours of everything from breweries to office buildings. I've toured distilleries and the Jelly Belly factory. I wonder what tours you've been on. Let me know. Send me a note or even put it in the chat what your favorite tours are to do. Tours. They're... They're designed to give us a peek into a world that we may not otherwise see. And as much as I love all sorts of tours, these behind-the-scenes tours related to, to products or manufacturing, they're my most favorite. We know the product on the other end. We know what they're creating, and we might even have an idea of how they'll create it. I mean... I've toured probably 25 distilleries and as many breweries. I could almost make my own whiskey and beer, and yet I'm still a sucker to go and see it again. And there are a few reasons for this. First, I forget. I forget sometimes about how all the different steps work. Second, they're each a little different. And sometimes the fact that they're doing the same things but in different ways, it, it helps me learn a little bit more about the product. Third, samples. Tours always have samples. Whether it's rum or whiskey or chocolate or jelly bellies, there's always a sample waiting for you at the end. Our gospel text this morning, it's... It's sort of like that moment on the tour where the tour guide pauses to tell us where we've been and they take us back to something at the beginning, something that we might not have otherwise noticed. Kind of like at the end of a suspenseful book or a movie when it turns out that the seemingly unimportant factor seen at the start of the tale was the key to it all. This morning, like I said, is the seventh Sunday of Easter. And while we took a little adventure with the women of the Old Testament for four weeks in the middle of the Eastern Easter season, this week we're returning to the gospel text that's assigned to this day. I want to take a moment, though, and talk about Easter, the season of Easter. In contrast to Lent, in stark contrast to Lent, the church is called to celebrate the season of Easter as one of great joy. In fact, in the early church, kneeling, fasting, and other acts that were seen as more often associated with mourning were forbidden during Easter. This is fascinating. The structures of the church, everything from our liturgical colors or in the season of white uh, to our sanctuary adornments and even our prayers and hymns, they're intended to reflect the season so that we get an idea of the breadth and depth of the human experience throughout the year, so that even if we're not feeling those same emotions in our present lives, we still experience them as the church. So here we come to the end of Easter, the end of this season of celebration, and our text curiously takes us back to a time just before that first Easter. It's a return to those final days before Jesus is arrested. He's gathered with his closest friends. They're sitting with him, 
and he starts to pray. This prayer comes toward the end of a much larger passage from John's Gospel. It's referred to as the Farewell Discourse. These chapters are the end of Jesus' life and ministry, and in many ways he's giving instructions. It's like he wants to get some last things in. But he's also saying goodbye to his friends. Sometimes they realize this, and sometimes they don't get it. They don't get it at the time. But what he's doing is saying goodbye. Like you and I, the early readers and hearers of John's gospel, they weren't alive when Jesus was alive. They're dependent on John as their tour guide in order for them to know Jesus and to better understand God. And the gift of this morning's text is that it gives us a glimpse, a behind-the-scenes look into the prayer life of Jesus. And there's a lot in this text. There's a lot of words, and there's a lot of words that can be confusing. But instead of getting lost in the words, I want to pause and take a look more closely at a couple of the key ingredients in this prayer of Jesus. First, Jesus is praying for others. He's praying for his friends, the disciples, and and they know it. He's right there with them. This isn't a secret prayer or a prayer where Jesus is alone. And he's very specific in his prayers and for his love of them. This is just a short time before Jesus will die, and his prayer is focused on the ones he's going to leave behind. This is powerful because I'm also confident that Jesus is praying in these words for you and for me. Jesus knows that God's children, including us, will need to be prayed for. Specifically, that we'll need this prayer. This prayer in which Jesus prays that we would come to a knowledge of God. That we would know God. Knowing God. Think about all the things that we know about, whether it's the knowledge we obtain through studying or through life experience. Knowledge, it, it requires something. It, it requires obedience. It requires a desire to obtain it. It requires some effort. Effort to obtain knowledge of God. And I wonder if we even have to seek it or perhaps live it. You see, Jesus prays that you and I would have knowledge of God. And then when we have knowledge of God, you see, our only response will be to live in a way that brings glory to God. That our lives would give God glory by living the life that God would have us live. Indeed, the only response, though, for us is to seek love, because it's written in Scripture that if we know God, we will seek love. In 1 John, the the writer puts it this way. In another familiar text, he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That's the key right there. Whoever does not love does not know God, he writes, for God is love. Knowledge of God is so intimately tied then to our human response of love 
and in loving, in living out the love for which God designed us. It's then that we show others that we know God. But Jesus knows that the world isn't a place where love is easy. This is precisely why he's praying this prayer for his disciples and for us. Jesus knows that the world, the same world that he's about to face, the world that is going to kill him, the world that somehow is the same world that God created, it's often seemingly in opposition to the love that is from God. And the cruel reality is that the opposition to love often comes from within ourselves and from within others whom God loves and others who desire to love God. Indeed, we need protection not just from the obvious sources of opposition to God, but even from ourselves and our our own desires. But why does Jesus pray so earnestly for us to have knowledge of God? Jesus says that this is eternal life, that this quest. This is the quest, the desire, the reassurance, the comfort, the promise of something better, the place without tears, the life beyond suffering. This is eternal life, knowledge of God. How many times has eternal life been explained to you in that way as knowledge of God? And yet this is exactly what Jesus is saying. And so we must ask ourselves then, how Are we seeking to know God? Before we laugh it off and dismiss the possibility, the possibility of knowing the unknowable, we have to revisit an assurance from very early on in John's gospel. Scott Matheny preached on a text in March, John 3.16, in which the gospel writer tells us that God's love for the world is so great is so great that whoever believes in God would have eternal life. This is the greatest promise in scripture. God's love is so lavish for us that God does indeed intend for us to have eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life, which we now learn is found in knowing God. And knowing God, which happens when we have love. John has laid it out for us. He's given us the ingredients, the ingredients to be the body of Christ and the ingredients to have eternal life. And the recipe, my friends, is straightforward. And Jesus prays for us that we would bring these ingredients together to know God. He also prays that we would find unity. He says, protect them so that they may be one as we are one. I continue to be amazed in these weeks where we're separated by how much we're living and acting still as one. Our community, the the community of this congregation, it's woven tightly and it's remaining connected through acts of love, compassion, and service. I definitely see this model of Christian community as part of what Christ desired for all of humanity. But this unity he prays for, what is it? Jesus says that he wants humanity to be one as we are one in talking to God. So what does that look like? 
Now, there's some very poetic language at the start of John's gospel, and it's at one time confusing and, and also beautiful at the same time. And it says this, it says, the word was with God and the word was God. With God and was God. Well, which one is it? You see, words have trouble describing the complexity of this relationship between God and Christ. And I've read one theologian describing it like a dance. Now, early theologians back in history, they looked at this relationship between Jesus and God as being like a movement, an interweaving between the two. And so what if this is, uh, this is like this call to unity, not a call for everyone to be the same or praying in the same way or looking at a life of faith the same way, but rather more like a dance, a movement, an interweaving of you and of me and of each one of us so that we can bring all people together in this mosaic that reflects God in our world today, that points to God, that helps others come to a knowledge of God. And the good news is that there is room for each of us in this dance. There's room for you and there's room for me. And so you see, this is where our Easter tour comes to an end. It's a tour we'll be back on. And I've also promised that every tour takes us where we've been and gives us some ingredients and shows us something new. But every tour also includes a sample, a treat, something to remind us of the experience. And that's exactly what our time of worship should be. In our time of worship, this is our chance to sample the invitation of Christ, the invitation that we might even have moments of that knowledge of God and that we might then live into that knowledge as we seek to bring love into the world. So our sample, our, our sweet treat and preview of eternal life with God is that reassurance that Jesus prays for us, that we can pray for one another, that we can be unified in Christ and engage in the glorious dance of living lives that bring glory to God and bring love to the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.